All right, so we are finishing the book of 1 Samuel this morning. So if you would turn there, we'll be in 1 Samuel chapters 29, 30, and 31. Thank you, Nawana. The bigger they are, the harder they All right, you're one for one. But listen to this. In James chapter 4, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. In a sense, 1 Samuel could be summarized, the bigger they are, the harder they fall. And James would approve that, saying, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. That would be the other half of what 1 Samuel is about. The bigger they are, the harder they fall, but also, the smaller they are, the Lord may exalt them. We've seen this. We have seen this throughout 1 Samuel. There we go. How the mighty fell. We saw Hophni and Phinehas, the sons of Eli the priest, They were mighty full of themselves, disdaining God, abusing his people, stealing the sacrifice. And they fell in battle before the Philistines. We saw this in their father, Eli, who never called them on the carpet for their sin. And he ends up cursed, old, and mighty heavy from the fattest portions that he had gorged himself on. And when he hears that his sons had died in battle, he falls backwards, old and heavy, and breaks his neck. We see this in Dagon, the mighty god of the Philistines, who when the Philistines took the Ark of the Covenant to his temple, you remember what happened. The next morning, actually two mornings in a row, Dagon was on his face, before the ark, before the presence of the one and true God. The second morning, with his head and his hands broken off. We've seen the mighty fallen Goliath of Gath, mighty champion, giant, who fell before David, the young shepherd king. And we've seen it in Nabal, the mighty fool, who became drunk with disdain for David, dismisses God's anointed king, and the Lord made his heart hard and struck him down. You might remember from the very beginning of the book, Hannah, after the book of Samuel, sings, Talk no more, so very proudly. Let not arrogance come out of your mouth, for the Lord is a God of knowledge. He brings low, and he exalts. So 
So a good question for us this morning is how would we answer the reality that James puts forth? With 1 Samuel in the background, when James says God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. We need to take the reality of our own pride seriously because God does. And he opposes it. And we also need to take the reality of humility seriously because those are who God loves and he exalts. We've seen Saul, the impressive king. Last week we left him in a very dark place. Saul was fearing death and not hearing from God. So he seeks out a medium to have a seance. What Saul gets is Samuel with a promise that the Lord has indeed torn the kingdom from him. And he gains the extra knowledge from Samuel that the very next day Saul and his sons would die. And so we left Saul dining on a perverted Passover meal. Obeying the words of a witch to strengthen himself. This turned out to be Saul's last meal before this mighty one fell. Listen to chapter 31, the last chapter of 1 Samuel. Don't need to turn there unless you're right there. Now the Philistines were fighting against Israel, and the men of Israel fled before the Philistines and fell slain on Mount Gilboa. And the Philistines overtook Saul and his sons, and the Philistines struck down Jonathan and Abinadab and Malkishua, the sons of Saul. The battle pressed hard against Saul, and the archers found him, and he was badly wounded by the archers. Then Saul said to his armor-bearer, Draw your sword and thrust me through with it, lest these uncircumcised come and thrust me through and mistreat me. But his armor-bearer would not, for he feared greatly. Therefore Saul took his own sword and fell upon it. And when his armor-bearer saw that Saul was dead, he also fell upon his sword and died with him. Thus Saul died, and his three sons, and his armor-bearer, and all his men on the same day together. And when the men of Israel who were on the other side of the valley and those beyond the Jordan saw that the men of Israel had fled and that Saul and his sons were dead, they abandoned their cities and fled, and the Philistines came and lived in them. The next day when the Philistines came to strip the slain, they found Saul and his three sons fallen on Mount Gilboa. So they cut off his head, stripped off his armor, and sent messengers throughout the land of the Philistines to carry the good news to the house of their idols into the people. They put his armor in the temple of Ashtaroth, and they fastened his body to the wall of Bethshan. But when the inhabitants of Jabesh Gilead heard what the Philistines had done to Saul, all the valiant men arose and went all night and took the body of Saul and the bodies of his sons from the wall of Bethshan, and they came to Jabesh and burned them there. 
And they took their bones and buried them under the tamarisk tree in Jabesh and fasted seven days. Lord, as we come to your word this morning, oh Lord, if we are walking in pride, living in pride, if we're fools like Nabal, disdaining you because we are disdaining your anointed, Jesus Christ. Oh Lord, would you convict us of that? Humble us before you, Lord, and exalt us. Oh Lord, speak through your word this morning. May this be good news, good news proclaimed. In Jesus' name, amen. So Saul is dead. And we wonder... How does David respond? David, who has been on the run for a long time. David, who has been anointed now for a long time, but has lacked the crown. Here's how David responds. Chapter 1 of 2 Samuel. He pens a lament. A lament that is meant for all of Israel. And he sings this lament. Saul and Jonathan... Beloved and lovely, in life and in death they were not divided. They were swifter than eagles. They were stronger than lions. Your daughters of Israel weep over Saul, who clothed you luxuriously in scarlet, who put ornaments of gold on your apparel. How the mighty have fallen in the midst of the battle. Jonathan lies slain on your high places. I am distressed for you, my brother Jonathan. Very pleasant you have been to me. Your love to me was extraordinary, surpassing the love of women. And then again, how the mighty have fallen and the weapons of war perished. There's no celebration on the side of David. As he's always seen Saul as the Lord's anointed, as he's always, I believe, hoped the best for Saul, Perhaps prayed the best for Saul. Prayed for reconciliation, for repentance. There was none in Saul, it so appears. And so David pens this lament. To lament the death of the Lord's anointed and of his son, Jonathan. Throughout the book of 1 Samuel, how have the mighty fallen? They've fallen simply in this way. They did not obey God's word. They did not heed. I'm going to use that word quite often this morning. They did not heed what God said. When I say heed, I mean pay close attention to. The mighty fell throughout 1 Samuel because they did not heed what God said. Remember Saul, Samuel had told him why the kingdom had been torn from him back in chapter 28. You did not obey the voice of the Lord. You did not carry out his fierce wrath against Amalek. Why is that a big deal? Because when God reveals his word so that someone can hear it, 
to not heed what God has said is to basically say, I don't need what God has said. I don't need what God has said. Therefore, I don't need God. But we see this downward trajectory, this slippery slope for Saul end with him falling on his sword instead of on the face, on his face before the Lord. There could have been repentance for Saul and instead he sees nothing better for him than death. However, it's appropriate that 1 Samuel was called 1 Samuel because in a sense, Samuel is the hero of the story. Remember, he was a young lad serving at the tabernacle, and he did not yet know the Lord because the word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. His mom had brought him to serve in the temple because the Lord had answered her prayer for a son. And so back in chapters 2 and 3, when Samuel comes to the temple, he did not yet know the Lord, but the Lord reveals himself to him. The Lord calls Samuel several times in the middle of the night. And what is Samuel's reply? Speak, for your servant hears. Sometimes we talk about the doctrine of revelation. This reality that there are two types of God revealing himself. There's general revelation that all of the world can see. God reveals himself through creation. God reveals himself even through the reality of humanity. People made in God's image. But there is also special revelation. When God takes the initiative to reveal himself, not just what he has made. And this happens to Samuel. Samuel hears the Lord speaking to him in the middle of the night. And his reply is, speak for your servant hears. Chapter 3 of 1 Samuel ended this way. Samuel grew, and the Lord was with him. And let none of his words fall to the ground. For the Lord revealed himself to Samuel at Shiloh by the word of the Lord. The revelation that happened to Samuel was by the word. This is how we see And the beauty of it is that Samuel's words did not fall to the ground because the Lord upheld his words because what were the words that Samuel was speaking? The word of the Lord. Jake, this morning, you're charged to be a pastor who delivers the word of the Lord to his church, to the Israel of God. Brother, may none of your words fall to the ground because the words that you say, the words that we say, are from the word of God. He's given a special revelation to especially transmit. It's called the gospel. Good news. 
because Samuel heeded the word of the Lord, he was mighty throughout his ministry. He did not fall. But not so for David. We've seen some of David's failures and foibles throughout 1 Samuel. Last week, we left him in a tight place. Saul was in a dark place. David was in a tight place. Fearing death at the hand of Saul, David fled. He fled to the Philistines, their enemies, and became the bodyguard for King Achish, the king of Gath. But then things start to get dicey for David. When the Philistines gather to fight Israel, and we were left hanging last week in chapter 27, how will God's anointed king respond when he is pulled between two kingdoms, literally, the kingdom of God in Israel and the kingdom of the world in the Philistines? And David is loyal over here right now. If you flip back to chapter 29, we see how things play out. The other Philistine lords, there were five Philistine cities. Achish was, was the king of one of those, Gath. There were four other cities that gathered. They were all Philistines. And presumably the other four guys are like, uh, Achish, we know you like this guy David, and he's been your bodyguard for a while, but he's an Israelite. Is there any better way for, her to get, for him to get back in the good graces of Saul than to go onto the battlefield and him and his 600 dudes turn on us, cut off our heads, and deliver those heads to Saul? There's an interesting reality of the Philistines in 1 Samuel. I think they're meant to be comic relief. Like any good drama, you need a little bit of comic relief to break the tension. What have we seen so far? We saw Dagon, their god, on his face with his head and his hands broken off. We see while the ark is there, these rats and tumors. You might say rats and tumors, not funny. However, in the context of the narrative, amusing. These people did not know what to do, and they end up calling out to the true god to try to get some help. Then Achish, a few chapters ago, was fooled by a fool. Remember, David was there by himself with Goliath's sword strapped to the side of him? And then to escape that tricky situation, David acts like he's insane. And Achish is like, get this insane guy out of my presence, rather than saying, wait, he just killed our champion. We should now kill him. And now here... It seems Achish has made a fool again as David has been with his 600 men and everybody's family. He's been given a, given a city called Ziklag. And in Ziklag, kind of out in the hinterlands of Philistia, is where David and his crew hangs out. And every day they go out and they kill enemies of God and then come home. And Achish says, so what have you done today? And he's like, oh yeah, we attacked the Israelites there and there and there and there. And so day in and day out, he becomes more and more trustworthy to Achish, even though he's fooling him every single day. It reminds us of what the psalmist says in Psalm 2. The kings of the earth set themselves 
against the Lord and his anointed? He who sits in the heavens laughs. So Achish apologizes to David. You've been honest. I found nothing wrong with you. In fact, you're blameless in my sight, David, even as an angel of God. But these four other guys, they said you can't go out with us. So let's go to chapter 30, verse 1. After he's dismissed, the Philistines then go up to fight against Israel, which then ultimately leads to Saul's death. When David and his men came to Ziklag on the third day, they're, they're coming home, coming to see their wives, their kids. The Amalekites had made a raid against the Negev and against Ziklag. They had overcome Ziklag. There was no one there to defend it. And burned it with fire and taken captive the women and all who were in it both small and great. They killed no one, but carried them off and went their way. And when David and his men came to the city, they found it burned with fire, and their wives and sons and daughters taken captive. Imagine the shock. Then David and the people who were with him raised their voices and wept until they had no more strength to weep. David's two wives also had been taken captive, Ahinoam of Jezreel and Abigail, the widow, the widow of Nabal of Carmel. And David was greatly distressed, for the people spoke of stoning him because all the people were bitter in soul, each for his sons and daughters. Oh, how the mighty have fallen. David, who though running for his life, God had begun to make mighty. He'd given him an army. He'd grown his family. He was now a man to be reckoned with. But his error in serving Achish has now led to that city being burned, and they don't know where their families are. David here is brought low and humbled. Remember, he did not heed what God had said back in chapter 27. Instead of remembering that God had said, you are my anointed, my chosen one. Bro, you can't die until you become the king. Instead, David had said, full of fear in his heart, now I shall perish, lied to himself. I shall perish one day by the hand of Saul. There is nothing better for me, lied to himself again, than that I should escape to the land of the Philistines. The better for you, David, was to believe, to heed what God had already said about you. You are going to be king. He had not heeded the words of God. And his not heeding led to him serving Achish for 16 months, which has now led to this raid on Ziklag and them having no idea what has happened to their families. 
to which he is now threatened to be stoned. He had feared that Saul would take his life. Now his own men might take his life. Yet what we find here is a turning point for David. A turning point for David when he had hit his lowest point. Because David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. You see that at the very end of verse 6. David strengthened himself, though his life was at stake. He strengthened himself in the Lord his God. He did not turn to the pragmatism of Saul or the pragmatism of his own heart. Chapter 27, case in point. Instead, he strengthened himself in the one who is actually strong in his life. The Lord, his God. How does he do this? Look at verse 7. David said to Abiathar, the priest, the son of Ahimelech, bring me the ephod. You would remember the ephod is a priestly garment, and this ephod has the urim and the purim in it. Sorry, I missaid that. The urim and the thummim in it. And these were like lots that were cast God prescribed them for the sake of discerning his will. So Abiathar brought the ephod to David, and David inquired of the Lord, Shall I pursue after this band? Shall I overtake them? And the Lord answered him, Pursue, for you shall surely overtake and shall surely rescue. So David set out and the 600 men who were with him, and they came to the brook Besor, where those who were left behind stayed. How did David strengthen himself in the Lord? Was this just the sort of like, whew, okay, I think we're going to be all right. No, he inquired of the Lord. He asked the Lord, Lord, what do you want? What is your will in this situation? He sought the voice of God. He sought to hear the words of God so that he could heed those words. See, before his posture in chapter 27 was, I shall, dot, dot, dot. Now, because of the grace of God in this turning point, he asks the question, shall I? And when he hears what God says, he heeds it. We need to note that when David is at his lowest point, he seeks the words of God like his life depended on it, which it did. Why does this matter? Well, it's because the word of the Lord that back in Deuteronomy teaches the king to fear the Lord and rule rightly. You might remember in Deuteronomy 17, you think, oh, there's, there's not going to be anything about a king here because God is their king. That's true. But in Deuteronomy, Moses has said, there will be a king one day. But he's going to have to take the book of the law and make his own manuscript of it. In that way, he will learn to fear the Lord. He will take heed to his words so that his heart will not be lifted up above his brothers. 
It is also the word of the Lord in our hearts that keeps us from sinning, according to Psalm 119, and also gives us a delight in God. So why does this matter? Even more so because it is the word of the Lord who came to earth. The mighty one himself who fell not into sin, but to save sinners, humbled himself even to death on a cross. He, Jesus Christ, who is the word, takes heed of the words of the Father. In John 14, he says, I do as the Father has commanded me as he's on his way to the cross. I do as the Father has commanded me so that the world may know that I love the Father. This word of the Lord who we are supposed to heed is the one who the Father says, as we talked about last week, He is my beloved Son. I am fully pleased with Him. Listen to Him. Why does this matter? Because it may be that you, this morning, are feeling like you are at your lowest point. You don't know where else to turn. You don't know what else to do. You might be looking at the the 100% way that you are kind of attacking this issue, this problem, seeking guidance, and you might be like, well, I've sought it from all these people, but when it actually comes to seeking the Lord about it, that's been pretty minuscule. But God in his grace, hear this, is using even the struggle that you are in now to humble you and offering you at this turning point to strengthen yourself in him. To strengthen yourself in Christ. Do so like your life depends on it. Because it does. Because It does. Hear the whispers of Holy Week that we've already encountered here. An anointed king, Christ Jesus, finds himself in the kingdom of this world. He's not there because he has feared death, but because he would embrace death to free his people from the fear of death. Jesus Christ lived in that kingdom full of grace and truth, honest, having done nothing wrong, as blameless even as an angel of God. We hear this foreshadowing of Jesus entering Jerusalem on a donkey, the coronation of their king, the people exclaiming, Hosanna! This is our king coming in on a donkey, quoting from Zechariah and from Isaiah in the Old Testament. Speaking the words of the Lord, heeding the words of the Lord, but in just a few short days, many of those people would scream, heedlessly crucify him and let his blood be on us and on our children. Jesus strengthened himself in the Lord his God, inquiring of him and trusting his word. I am his son. The father is well pleased with me. So father, if it be possible, take this cup from me. Yet not your will, not your will, 
Not my will, but yours be done. We even see shades in Saul of an Old Testament Judas. Having tasted the grace of the anointed Christ, but without faith and ultimately without repentance after his treason leading to his death. We also see shades in David of an Old Testament Peter, having feared the ramifications of being outed as a disciple of the kingdom of God, but who is ultimately repentant for his betrayal, confessing his love for his Lord. Again, why does this matter? Because this morning you may be calling yourself a fearful Peter or David. Mixed up in your own betrayal. You've known Christ. You've been purposely walking away from him. And you wonder, is there any place for me with him anymore? Or you may call yourself a traitor unto death like Judas or Saul. I've turned my back on him before. I've never wanted him. I don't even think I want him this morning. But the Holy Spirit, even right now, is turning something in that stone-cold navel heart of yours and saying, fool, your life is going to be demanded of you one day. Humble yourself and allow me to exalt you. Oh, dear sinners, let us find our strength in Christ, the only one who offered himself. You don't have any other friends like that, let me tell you. Yet our hearts want to be so self-impressed sometimes, even if our, in our own self-condemnation. I can't go there. That will be admitting weakness exactly. Will we admit our weakness and find our strength in Christ alone? There is mercy and forgiveness in him. But will we trust what God has said? Brother and sister in Christ, Christians, would you believe again this morning that there is truly no condemnation in Christ Jesus? Find your strength in what God has said. Don't keep looking for strength elsewhere. Find it in the promise that Christ has taken all of the condemnation on, on himself. He who knew no sin became sin for you, for us. There is no sin you can commit. There is no truckload of it that you can store up Christian, if you have been reborn by the Spirit that somehow adds a sinful record that he has not already taken upon himself at the cross. Be impressed with him. Be impressed with him. David, to finish out 1 Samuel here. 
is with his men. The Lord has sent him to be Savior, Rescuer. He has promised that when he goes to save, the people he goes to save will indeed be saved. And so we come to this last section that I'm going to read. But I just want you to look for these things as I read it. David, after this turning point, becomes the king of grace. He becomes the king of God's generosity who goes out to judge the enemies of God and enfold those who humble themselves before his anointed. For all those who humble themselves before him, there is salvation. Jesus came to save. David went to save. We will be saved. To all those who are his, both the tired and active, as you're going to see here, oh, the king generously gives his gifts. He gives grace upon grace upon grace. Let's go back into chapter 30. I'm just going to read this straight through. See the grace of Jesus all the way through. Verse 10. David pursued he and 400 men, 200 stayed behind, who were too exhausted to cross the brook Besor. They found an Egyptian in the open country and brought him to David. And they gave this Egyptian bread, and he ate. They gave him water to drink, and they gave him a piece of a cake of figs and two clusters of raisins. And when he had eaten, his spirit revived, for he had not eaten bread or drunk water for three days and three nights. And David said to him, To whom do you belong, and where are you from? He said, I'm a young man of Egypt, servant to an Amalekite, and my master left me behind because I fell sick three days ago. We had made a raid against the Negeb of the Jerethites, and against that which belongs to Judah, and against the Negeb of Caleb. And we burned Ziklag with fire. David said to him, Will you take me down to this band? And he said, Swear to me by God that you will not kill me or deliver me into the hands of my master, and I will take you down to this band. And when he had taken him down, behold, they were spread abroad over all the land, eating and drinking and dancing. These are the Amalekites. Because of all the great spoil they had taken from the land of the Philistines and from the land of Judah. And David struck them down from twilight until the evening of the next day. And not a man of them escaped, except 400 young men who mounted camels and fled. David recovered all the Amalekites had taken, and David rescued his two wives. Nothing was missing, whether small or great, sons or daughters, spoil, or anything that had been taken. David brought back all. David also captured all the flocks and herds, and the people drove the livestock before him and said, This is David's spoil. Then David came to the 200 men who had been too exhausted to follow David and who had been left at the brook Besor. And they went out to meet David and to meet the people who were with him. When David came near to the people, he greeted them. Then all the wicked and worthless fellows among the men who had gone with David said, Because they did not go with us, we will not give them any of the spoil that we have recovered, except that each man may lead away his wife and children and depart. But David said, You shall not do so, my brothers. With what the Lord has given us, he has preserved us, 
and given into our hand the band that came against us. Who would listen to you in, that mat- in this matter? For as his share is who goes down into the battle, so shall his share be who stays by the baggage. They shall share alike. And he made it a statute and a rule for Israel from that day forward to this day. When David came to Ziklag, he sent part of the spoil to his friends, the elders of Judah, saying, Here is a present for you from the spoil of the enemies of the Lord. It was for those in Bethel, in Ramoth of the Negev, in Jatir, in Eroer, in, in Sifmoth, in Eshtemoa, in Rakal, in the cities of the Jeremielites, in the cities of the Kenites, in Hormah, in Borashan, in Athak, in, Heb- in Hebron, for all the places where David and his men had roamed. Can I just encourage you in one thing this morning? The fragrance of the people of God goes everywhere you go. David did not know why he had to flee from Saul. And those months, those years were hard. Yet, all those places where he had roamed, the news of the coming king, the news of the coming king was being seen and heard and felt. Brothers and sisters, wherever you go out this week, whatever the trials that you are praying through and asking God to speak to you about. The fragrance of the gospel is flowing out of you, especially in your brokenness. Because that flow is a kingdom flow. And everywhere you go, the anointed Christ is exalted. And people may not love it, People may not want it. Nevertheless, you are the fragrance of Christ. Jake, last word. You've been given gifts, spiritual gifts. And the Lord in his grace has given you as a gift to us. Even as we've talked about this morning how the mighty have fallen, our call as pastors is not to be mighty, is not to be self-impressed, but to be God-impressed. Here is news for you this morning. Though you have been affirmed this morning, and you should be, this is a high privilege to pastor the people of God. It is not a ministry of exaltation or might. Instead, it is a ministry of fallenness and weakness. Even as our Savior experienced the fall of humanity and condescended to us, weakly going to the cross. Even as he laid down his life for the sheep, may you, may we continue to lay down our lives for the sheep.
Oh Lord, this morning, Lord Jesus, thank you that you came down for us. Oh Lord, grant us, humili- grant us humility, grant us grace, exalt the humble, further convince us of your greatness, O oh Christ. Give us the grace to believe your promises, even today as we come to your table that you do truly invite your family to come and feast with you. In your name, Jesus. Amen. And so we do come to the table this morning. And the table is a table for the family of God in Christ. As you've heard the word this morning, if you cannot with assurance say, yes, I belong to Jesus, please don't come and take this morning. But if you say, I don't know if I have belonged to Jesus, but this morning my faith is in him. I need Jesus. This is a matter of life and death. Then hear his words and come and eat. If you're living under condemnation this morning and you're wondering, does he have any further word for me? The further word is in his body and blood. Come and take and eat. Know his forgiveness afresh.